0: This week on Thinking Biblically, we welcome back uh, a good friend of mine who is living in Israel and we're going to learn about a special festival that's happening today that a lot of people, even a lot of Jewish people, aren't very aware of and why we might refer to it as the Feast of Fruits and Nuts. welcome back to thinking biblically my name is alan gilman thinking biblically is a podcast that is dedicated to exploring how all scripture speaks to all of life Um, before i introduce this week's guest um, i do want to remind everyone to please subscribe review share and uh, that really that really helps so i'm uh, very happy to uh, reintroduce to you my friend michael gertzman Michael Gertzman has been involved as a teacher and spiritual leader in various capacities in Canada and Israel since 1982. He's been instrumental in starting four messianic congregations. In 1998, he founded Lion of Judah Ministries Canada. Michael and his wife of 52 years, Florin, spent half the year each spend half the year each in Canada and Israel, where, among other things, he's been involved in administering and funding humanitarian aid and community development projects in immigrant communities. And that's something we plan to talk about today. Michael and Florin have two children and four grandchildren. Welcome back, Michael.
1: Thank you, Alan. It's good to be with you again. To see you, my friend.
0: Oh, um, Now, the last time we talked, you were a little closer to where I am. I'm in Ottawa, Canada's capital. And uh, you were also in Canada at the time, but you're not in Canada now.
1: No, I'm not in Canada now. We returned to Israel uh, at the end of the first week of December. Uh, Currently, I'm in our home in Nahariya, which is the northernmost city uh, in Israel, about 10 miles, not 10 miles, 10 kilometers south of the Lebanese border. Today, it's on the cool side. Nothing like you're experiencing in Canada, (laughs) mercifully but uh it's you, a lovely sunny day.
0: what do you call cool what do you call a cool a cool day january uh, well,
1: no, i think the high was 13 today so that's cool here for here
0: yeah so for we your to, american folks uh that's about 51 52 fahrenheit something like yeah, that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah
1: we, we would yeah yeah yeah.
0: yeah 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 so um i did want to show you what what you're missing so um First of all we're we're recording this it's uh almost 10 15 monday morning uh january the 17th um i used to post these every wednesday at 7 p.m now i'm trying to post them as soon as they're ready so hopefully in a few hours this will be up for people to see so it's going to be it's going to be um timely that's the word i was looking for so let me see if i could bring this up here uh Okay, let let me show you, this is just from, this is about an hour ago. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah, see the light is on, that's an automatic light that comes on at night. Usually, usually if it was sunny, it would be a brilliant sunny day. Um, And you can't really feel what it was like walking home after with the wind in my face was uh, was was really something. So let me come back here. There we go. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. So um, you know we're both from the this part of Canada, Ottawa, Montreal, a very similar kind of weather. We've been in the Ottawa area back from the west coast, which is not like this. Uh, we've been here almost 20 years, and we've had some snow dumps. But I th- I think this is the first time on my weather app it came up from Environment Canada saying that there was a blizzard warning in effect and blizzard c- conditions. And we grew up, when we were kids, we had blizzards. But uh, we haven't seen a real blizzard in a while. So that- that's what's going on right now as we speak. And it's just the beginning. It's supposed to last all day. Uh, all sorts of things are closed and so on. So I just wanted to give you a bit of a taste. Um, I, I don't really feel that bad that you're there. Well, a little bit. I am looking forward to getting back to Israel someday soon, and it's not just about the weather.
1: Um, we, you live in the true north cold and free.
0: <laughs> well, how free it is these days. Is I don't know hour. how
1: free it is In the true north cold, for
0: sure. Absolutely. Um, But spring is coming. Spring is coming. Yes, spring is coming. And speaking of spring, it's actually a special day on the Jewish calendar. Um, And it turned out we are going to be talking today. We're going to be talking about other things. But um, uh, beforehand, I asked you if you'd like to share a little bit about the special day. Why don't you explain it to folks?
1: Okay, well, actually, it is springtime here, but not springtime that you're accustomed to. It's Tubishvat, which is actually tubishvat means the 15th of Shvat, which is the Jewish month we're in. And it's called the New Year of the Trees, the New Year of the Trees. And um, it began last night at sundown, and it's going to end tonight. Now, it's not a biblical celebration but it appears in later Jewish writings as one of four New Year's in the Jewish calendar. Yes, sir, folks, we have four New Year's. I'm not going to talk about the other three right now, but I'm going to just briefly explain how this uh, this celebration got started. You see, um, in Bible times, uh, when people planted trees, it tells us in the Torah that they were forbidden to eat the fruit of those trees for the first three years after the trees were planted. And then in the fourth year, they were required to bring the crops of those fruit trees to the temple in Jerusalem as a tithe to the Lord. So the 15th of Shavat, which is, ends up usually around February in the Julian calendar, was the date that was used in later years to calculate the age of the the fruit trees Okay, from year to year. You see, usually trees start to form their their rings uh, annually in the springtime. And as I said, springtime in Israel climate-wise begins around the latter half of January every year. And it's the time when the almond trees start to bud and all the almond trees put on the most beautiful buds and blossoms. They're really a sight to see. And um, so that's why it's a new year. The rings start to form for the next year. It starts in the springtime. We've uh, we've appointed the 15th of Shvat, which is eh, sometime in the latter part of January, moves back and forth. Now, one way it's celebrated by more observant Jews is with a special seder. A seder is a special meal. The word seder means order, and um, it's a feast. It's a feast. It's a feast of nuts. It's a feast of fruits, accompanied by four cups of wine, and special prayers are recited as well. And so, you're not.
0: You say a feast of fruits and nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, you're you're talking nuts. about literal fruits and nuts not the people who attend them
1: <laughs> uh, let's just say I will remain silent on the issue I think I'm gonna the, write
0: <laughs> I'm gonna write a piece to Bishvat, <laughs> the feast of fruits and nuts that's great. So let's see if you can get back and control yourself I'm so sorry Michael okay, is, okay, is this a joy is just, it a joyful I, festival
1: yeah it is it, it is it's a great Good. festival I mean listen. Okay, now we'll get down to who the fruits and nuts are. Okay, figs, figs, pomegranates, dried apricots, raisins, almonds, all kinds of stuff like that. So they have these meals with all these. Oh, there we go. Well, I was here. prepared. You we were it's,
0: prepared. It's so hard because it's 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 a, I have so much. Oh, there we go. Okay, so okay. I couldn't get everything, but I got the raisins. I've got yeah. the uh the figs. The dates, the almonds and the apricots. I haven't had Listen, dried apricots. We bought these special.
1: Mm. You know what? You know what's fantastic this year here? The what? pomegranates oh. are amazing. The pomegranates are amazing. In fact, you know what happened today? I cut open the pomegranate and I was digging out the seeds and the, the juice splashed on the wall. Well, of mm. course, what it did was it stained the wall. It wasn't oh, supposed to I had to regain the wall today because I made such a mess of it with the pomegranate juice. But you know, the pomegranates are...
0: One yeah. of the things when you go to Israel, you know, there's so many things that is, uh, you know, it, it's different. There's a lot of things that are familiar. People get surprised the, about the, yeah. the things they are used to that they see there. Like for Canadians, the shopper's drug mart in Jerusalem by the old city. But let's not get distracted. Um, but uh, one of the things that I just found so unusual were the pomegranate stands, and where they're outdoors and they sell in these plastic cups already. I don't know what you peeled. I guess you call it. Or I don't. I don't know what you call the seeds when they're out of the pomegranate, which is one of the reasons why people don't buy pomegranates because it's such a pain to open the thing up. And I've learned it could end up staining your walls. You got to be really careful. But uh, <laughs> so um,
1: and your clothes. Oh my! And oh, and oh but they're closed. so
0: they're they're so wonderful. And seeing so many of them is so much. And yeah, go on. Oh.
1: Anyway, for most Jews, Tu is kind of like an Arbor Day. Yep. You know, so many Israelis go out into nature at this time, and they celebrate virtually by planting trees. It's a time for the Israelis to go out and plant trees. And this was actually interesting. It's a custom that was adopted at the beginning of the 20th century, early in the 20th century, where the early settlers took up this practice with a view to reclaiming and reforesting the land, which at that time was either desert or malaria swamps, where we used to live, which would be uh, overlooking the, the carrot the Sea of Galilee, it was all swampland down there and it was reclaimed for farming. So there's forestation all over the land. It's, they've been doing it for years, but it's an annual, you know, it's an annual event to go out and plant trees for those who are into that kind of thing. So it's a celebration time for environmentalists, you might say, a great time of year.
0: Um, I was thinking about this, and, and as you know, and and we tell people that most Jewish people probably don't even know it's to Shvat today. It's it's yeah. uh, so in Israel, it's it's become more of a thing in the way that you were explaining, and and many people treat yeah. it similar to Earth Day, so it becomes an environmental yeah. day. Uh, but it is yeah. interesting how trees in Israel have taken on not just a symbolic but a very practical. Um, yeah, major element in the country. That's why, you know, forest fires in Israel are not like having forest fires in Canada. No, no uh, at it's all. so devastating and it's so important for yeah. the, for the land, uh, right? Um, yeah. And so to be, frankly, I, I've never thought about Tu until I realized that I was going to be talking to you today and thought, Oh, well, why don't we, why don't we talk about it a little bit? And uh, so it's like maybe you mentioned, it's not in the Bible, um no. but it, it became something and by the way f- this this thing about the four years so you know the new year yeah. Rosh Hashanah and and the passover is the is supposed to be the beginning of the religious year and people think it's a yeah. little humorous but uh, we also have different years we've got fiscal years and school years and and religious years sure, in of course. you know in, the, in other countries too but anyway
1: i was thinking but you know what to tell you something, the the name for it in Hebrew, another name for Tu B'Shvat is Rosh Hashanah, the not the New Year of the Trees. Literally, right. that's the Hebrew name for it.
0: Because you know? that was the date. I'm sorry if I missed it. That that's the date where you calculated tithing for trees for fruit, that's great. right? Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so Tu B'Shvat's not in the Bible. But what? I'm trying to get around my microphone here. I think it would be very fitting to read Psalm One. And this is why we're doing thinking biblically, because of the need to see life through the perspective of God's word and how it and how it illumines all of life. And so we do want to we want to get into uh, your community development work. Uh, But speaking of newness and 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 life and all the rest. I do wanna do something a little personal um, and I do have uh, that person's uh, permission. So I wanna bring up something else on screen right now. And that is our brand new granddaughter, uh, Miriam Milana, uh, born to uh, our son Daniel and Alexandra just on Saturday, seven pounds, two ounces. Um, Many viewers of Thinking Biblically, a lot of you go back to uh, the Old Testament course that I did, and so you're very familiar. Daniel's also been on Thinking Biblically a few times, and uh, some of you might know that Daniel and Alexandra uh, had uh, two miscarriages uh, early in COVID, and so um, Miriam's arrival is uh, is a, a many faceted miracle for them. And so far, everyone's doing well. So,
1: praise God! Congratulations, yeah. brother.
0: Thank you. your grandchild. Grandchild number eight. First, yeah, of course, first for Daniel.
1: You have a lot of kids. You're going to have a lot of grandchildren. (laughs) May you remember every name.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. So the last time uh, you were were with us here, uh, you shared your unusual twisty, turny spiritual journey. Right and uh, and we got to uh, beginning to be involved with messianic congregations and you and I started one and you've started others in different places, and somewhere along the, the way, you know, you, you always cared about Israel, as as many Jewish people do, and many other people do. But then something happened, and I don't even I don't even know if I know some of the details of of what what. I don't even want to use sort of change, maybe you could describe it better. Like what? So what happened that made the land of Israel become more front and center in your life?
1: Well, I think the first thing was that after we graduated university, uh, we spent almost a year on the road. And at that time, we spent three months in Israel. We were young at the time. And when we went to Israel, we were overwhelmed just by being there had really no desire to go before, but we went there in the winter because the weather was better than anywhere else. And so we ended up working on two different kibbutzim there. And Florin and I said, perhaps one day we'd like to raise our family here. But of course that didn't happen. We tried at the beginning of the 80s uh, to make a trip and again to see if we could settle, but that didn't happen. But it wasn't that I had such a great vision for going to Israel. But around the end of the 90s, uh, I met a couple of non-Jewish people who were very, very gung-ho for Aliyah, which I found most extraordinary.
0: You're going to have to explain Aliyah uh, for the people who don't know what that is.
1: Okay. Yeah. What Aliyah is, the word Aliyah means to go up. It's the sort of the picture of pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. To celebrate the festivals. And when you go to the land, when you return to the homeland, Eretz Israel, it's you're going up. So consequently, it's called Aliyah. So I had no vision for this really. And in the late 90s, when I had the congregation in Montreal, there I encountered a couple of people, one of whom you know, which was Dean Bai, of course. And I, you know, they began to talk to me about this whole issue of the Jews returning to Israel. And do you have any interest in this? And of course, at that point in time, I had none. I was quite content to be in Canada and our family by that time had been in Canada for a hundred years or so. My grandparents had come from Eastern Europe and so on. And um, so I was asked, you know, are you interested in this? And I said, no, not really. And then one day this lady came to me. She was a lady from Colorado, and uh, her ministry was called Preparing the Way, and it had to do again with the Jews returning to the land. And we went through the scriptural basis for it because in the in well, even even in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 30, and through the Bible, through the, the prophets, major prophets and what are called the minor prophets who from my point of view, are not so minor. Nevertheless, it's made very clear that the day would come when God would gather his people back from the lands of the dispersion and bring us all back to the land he promised to our forefathers. So as I began to meditate on these things, one day I had what I'll call an epiphany or a revelatory experience. I was reading Ezekiel chapter 20. Because, you see, I did not see in the scripture, other than the fact that God had intention to bring us back, I did not see how he might do it. And in reading Ezekiel 20, I found out that not only did he intend to do it, but we would have a choice. We could go the easy way or we could go the hard way. That literally, because of persecution in the nations, we would be driven out of the countries where our families had resided safely for many years.
0: So just So just be clear on that, the easy way and the hard way. So the easy way would be to go before we have to yeah. or are driven to. And, and you're also more than simply implying that a day will come when you believe a day will yeah. come when we we're going to Jewish people in the Western world are going to be in trouble. And yeah. it, OK,
1: let me let me uh, let me put it this way. After I saw this, I mean, beyond, you know, beyond, uh, let's say, the scriptural mandate, I had to do some, you know, some historical background to this. And as I did, uh, one of the scriptures that really came out to me was Deuteronomy 28 the end of Deuteronomy 28, where it speaks about how we would be dispersed in the nations and we would not find rest for the sole of our feet anywhere. And our lives would be, unfortunately, we would live lives of anxiety. And as I began to look at the history of our people, I could see it. I mean, remember one time I counted the expulsions in Europe from this is just in Western Europe between uh 1394 and 1613 I think it was and I counted 34 expulsions from different places and I'm I'm well I'm well versed in the history of our people and I saw at the time that uh you know what was happening in France where all of a sudden there was this huge upsurge of anti-Semitism in France And I saw it in Argentina. There were things happening in Argentina. There were things happening in France. And in every case, the response of that community was either to hunker down or just pack up and leave and go. And as we look at the early, you know, as we look at the early settlements, for example, same thing. The pogroms drove many out of Eastern Europe in their day. Um, We take a look, you know, later on, we look, after the Holocaust, many went. We look even further back into history. We see the expulsions in 1492 from Spain and 1497 from Portugal. And we see God using this rod of persecution to drive people back. And so as I was looking at contemporary history, I began to see the same phenomena. And as I look around the world today, I see the same phenomena. So I'm watching groups that are coming into Israel. For example, the French practically own Netanya, you might say, which is a large, uh, a large city in Israel. And Ashdod, many of them have bought properties there. Uh, you know, they're not the only group. And of course, we saw the Russian migration at the beginning of the '90s. Almost one million came from the former Soviet Union, and so on and so on and so forth. And the Jews in the former Soviet Union suffered a lot of hardship under the communist regime so consequently this scenario that i saw in action that was prophesied not only by ezekiel but actually god used it over and over again uh, through history i saw it in action so i said to myself well i can go during uh, the time a window of opportunity when i can take resources with me and so one day i was up um I was up in Renfrew where I had a house for, I don't know, 18 years or so. And there was a tent meeting next door um, and a man by the name of Don Finto, who was a pastor from Tennessee, was speaking there. And also to um, the woman who owned the campground there, her uh, son-in-law, who's a uh, minister here in Israel, was there. And we got into a talk with them and they said, look, why don't you just come and Take a look around, at least get your citizenship, and you can look around, meet people, talk to people, and see if this is really for you. So long story short, it began with an exploratory voyage in 2003, 2004, and as I prayed into it, I felt this is what the Lord wants for Florin and myself, and we made the move officially uh, in 2007 but it took us a few years to prepare first.
0: Do you see signs in North America uh, that uh, Jewish people should be aware of in terms of some of the other things you mentioned about uh, the situations in other countries, whether in the past or more recently in places like France? Do, do you see signs of that here now?
1: Well, I think you had you know, something happen just the other day uh, during, you know, all the demonstrations and riots that preceded the, um, you know, the inauguration of Joe Biden in the States when there were riots in cities like Portland and in Minneapolis and places like that, for no reason whatsoever, uh, synagogues were attacked and Jewish properties were attacked. Um, We saw that happen. Okay. I think, I think we need to
0: just stop there because I don't even, I don't know if I I knew that. So everybody knows about the riots following uh, the death of George Floyd. Everybody knows about the, uh, what happened uh, January the 6th, right? Um, On on Capitol Hill. But you're saying that people, are you saying that people use that as an excuse to attack synagogues and Jewish people?
1: Yeah, in other words, what you had in those mobs, especially in the riots of the U.S. city, was a real mixed bag of people. In other words, you didn't only have people who were protesting George Floyd, but you had all kinds of different groups coming together. And in the chaos, they took the opportunity to work out their stuff on groups that they felt deserved uh, you know, a dose of something. So yes, that's definitely what happened during those riots at that time. And again, I remember, you know, the shooting in you know, uh, in Pittsburgh and what happened at the synagogue in Poway. So there's things happening now that didn't happen before. Like when I grew up, I don't remember anything of this nature happening. I remember anti-Semitism when I grew up. I certainly was at the butt end of it from time to time, but never anything like this where Houses of worship were being attacked, and worshippers were being killed. So yes, it's a yeah, cause for concern.
0: A lot of people don't know the level of security that's common in synagogues and Jewish community centers today, uh, with with you know with security people there and locked doors, and and so the the concern and worry among the Jewish community has increased over the past several yeah. years.
1: Definitely. So that's why I'm saying I'm not putting a timeline on this thing. But what I'm saying is everything that a prophet spoke two and a half thousand years ago, in general terms, has actually happened. It's happened over a period, of course. You know, it's happened since that time, you might say, in varying degrees and varying, varying places. But nevertheless, we see these things happening and we see them unfolding in our day, we see a migration, you know, for example, even the last of the Ethiopians that are coming in, again, they were under tremendous persecution uh, in Ethiopia, the, the communities in Gondar. So I'm, I'm more aware of these things because I'm living here and, you know, I am I can't help but be up to date on these things. I don't seek them out, but, you know, in our media, when things happen to Jews, you find out about it very quickly.
0: Uh, would you uh, go so far to say that every Jewish person living outside the land of Israel should uh, make aliyah?
1: What else I, I won't take this, it too personally.
0: Yeah. Just say what, what you think.
1: No. Oh, okay. What the Word of God says in Ezekiel 39 is that God will bring us all back and leave none of us behind. I don't know, I don't know what the logistics of this are, nor do I know what the timing of this are, uh, what the timing of this is. But what I do know is that the signs are around us and we need to respond to them one way or another. I came at the time when I felt the Lord was saying to me, go and do this. It took me three years to prepare. And, you know, I had to give up my congregation. I had to take care of my parents who were elderly. I had to, uh, you know, find a way to finance my life in Israel. And at the same time, I was building a house for my office in the congregation. So I have a few, a few balls in the air, you might say, when I did it. But I had the luxury of having time. But there were other groups that came out basically like the Russians who came out after the fall of the former Soviet Union, basically with. Whatever bags they could carry and clothes on their back sort of thing. Or the people who came, you know, from from Europe after the Holocaust and so on and so forth. What we know is this is what's going to happen at some point. Uh, I would say that it's more a matter for prayer than anything else. I don't think anybody should rush into something like this in a precipitous fashion. In my case, it required planning. But, you know, I didn't have any children in the house. My kids were married and they were settled. And it was a lot easier for me to manage the move than it is for somebody, say, with a young family or other commitments. So what I'm saying to you is that it's a matter for prayer. At some point in the future, according to scripture, this will happen. The Lord will bring us back one way or another. So I'm not saying that at this point in time, every Jew should pack up and leave. Um, I think, frankly, that would cause chaos in a lot of places, given the influence of Jewish people in so many places. But I do feel that we need to heed what the scriptures says in individuals, as individuals, ask God. What are you saying to me about this at this time? And that's as much as I can say.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good that's good advice. And so you eventually make make the move. And um, so why don't we segue into uh, you mentioned before we 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 started that you've been involved in several, I want to say it right, quote, community development projects in Israel. Yeah. Um, So could you share a little bit of, of what that is? And? And why did you do this?
1: The first thing that I became involved in, I guess, a couple of years after I was here, was with something called the Olim Fund. The word Olim means immigrants. So basically, this was a program uh, for recently arrived immigrants to the land. I worked with a, a very wonderful man by the name of Dr. Bob Fisher. I love this man dearly. And he founded the fund, after there was this mass migration of of immigrants from the former Soviet Union. Um, Close to 1 million people came. And again, as I said, many of these people came with no resources whatsoever, except uh, the bags they could carry in the clothes on their back. And amongst them were many people who were highly educated, uh, who were forced to take very menial and low paying jobs because of the linguistic challenges. And also elderly people would come. And in some cases, they were, you know, they were not, they were ill. They were not well. And they required um, assistance. And among this group of people that came, there were many believers. And uh, the problem, of course, with the believers was that if the authorities, the immigration authorities became aware of the fact that they were believers uh, there might be some degree of discrimination in terms of, you know, them being able to receive the benefits uh, of Avia. So consequently, um, we we formed this fund. The fund was formed to fill that gap and help the believing people in the country, many of whom were living in poverty, uh, with things like rental assistance if they needed it or home appliance purchases or repairs payments of utility bills dental care medical care purchase of medications children's clothing school supplies and tuition and so we had a we had a russian speaking pastor as our worker who canvassed the congregations and presented us with the needs and as a committee we would uh, consider all the applications for assistance that were submitted monthly and fund the requests that appeared to be legitimate. We had to vet the requests. There were some which weren't necessarily on the level. <laughs> I won't say any more than that. And so essentially in this particular case, this was assistance to, find, uh, uh, assistance to a, uh, a disadvantaged community whatever the need was. And so that was the first project I was involved in. The second project I became uh, involved in was a computer literacy project, which I think would, you know, would certainly be something you would have been interested in. One of the things that I became aware of when, I, when we first arrived in Israel was the plight of the recently arrived Ethiopian immigrants. They began to come in a small number uh, back to the land in the eighties, as well as the nineties. And unfortunately, in the case of the Ethiopians, um, while Israel is a land of immigrants, um, there there was discrimination against minority groups like the Ethiopians based on, unfortunately, skin color. You know, the majority of Jews, at least at that time, are fair-skinned, many of European origin, though there were many Sephardic Jews, Mizrahi Jews from North Africa and stuff. But the Ethiopians in particular were virtually uneducated and had been subsistence farmers in their native land, and they were totally unaccustomed to life in the 20th century. In a 20th century industrialized and technically technically advanced society that Israel had become and so because of their lack of language skills and technical knowledge they too were also relegated at the outset to the most menial forms of employment often as day laborers if they could find work at all but when the children went up uh, when the children grew up and went to school they learned Hebrew But because of their poverty, they didn't have access to computers and the Internet in their homes. And as a result, when it came to finding better types of employment than their parents, even though they could speak Hebrew, they not only faced continual, you know, a continued, continued rather racial discrimination, but their lack of computer knowledge had become a serious handicap. Uh, in an increasingly computerized society. So the computer literacy program was our answer to this problem. We hired instructors to teach computer skills to young people. And that's what we did. And this project was so successful that the the municipality of Haifa decided the following year to take it over and to fund it From that time forward. So obviously they were extremely impressed with the project, and it assisted many, giving them a kind of leg up, you might say, when it came to employment, because I spoke to one brother who is now the pastor of one of the larger congregations at Haifa, who was has a social work background, and he filled me in on the challenges of that community. So um, he loved the project and helped us in whatever ways he could to establish it. Another project we had, which was a very unusual project. So, so you know, let, me, sorry, Michael, let me, sorry, Michael, let me interrupt
0: you for a second. I, I, um, I try to be a little faster on the interruptions, but c- computer literate me doesn't always press the right buttons. Uh, and anyway, um, you've spent much of your of your life in what we call ministry, um, yes, leading congregations and teaching God's word and caring for what you know, people would term that as caring for people's souls. And here you yes. are, you you answer a call um, of the of the God of Israel to return to, to the land of our of our fathers. And you end up organizing computer courses for immigrants.
1: How? Well, I'll explain this to you. Um, One of the things that I saw was, what is the, you know, if you look at the Bible, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that when he brings us back to the land, he'll prosper us in the land. Okay. Israel is an extraordinary place, but there's great inequities. There are communities that are impoverished. There are people that are suffering. I've even seen amongst North Americans who've come that, for whatever reason, they came and they went, simply because they couldn't make it. So, consequently, in a sense, we're assisting the Lord with these people, in the sense that they can become gainfully employed, that they can support families, they can raise, they can raise families, they can support families, they can be, you know, uh, knitted to the fabric of Israeli society, and become believing people so consequently for me the, the projects of this nature have everything to do with you know um the bible have everything to do with human need god when he brought us into the land he brought us into a land where there were vines and tilled fields and everything there was sustenance and so therefore this is very much in the heart of god that when his people return they should be able to find sustenance there as well. So that's where it comes from. I have a heart for the poor. I've, uh, I've lived through hard times and I know what it's like not to have. I really do. And I, you know, my heart goes out to people, especially when they're disadvantaged, especially when I'll never forget the first time I saw the immigrant, the Ethiopian Zellan. I happened to be in Naharia. This goes way back. And right across the street from the hotel where I was staying, Sting. there was an absorption center. I walk out of the the hotel, I look across the street and there's all these people and they're wearing like robes, you know, like they look like African robes and they're kind of squatting down on the sidewalk. And I looked at them and I said, these are Jews? I couldn't believe it. I'd never, I said, these are a tribal people. What am I looking at? Jews? Okay, you know what Jews look like for you and me, right? <laughs> I'd never seen anything like this before. And so I became sensitized at the time to these people, and I realized what a disconnect there would be when they came into a land like Israel. How What a disconnect, culturally, in every way. And so, therefore, they needed the leg up. So it was for, you know, from that kind of heart that... Um, you know, I engaged in this
0: kind of thing. Yeah, I really appreciate you, you explaining all that. It's, it's a tragedy the way we separate things spiritual from things material. When, when the Bible yeah. doesn't do that, we could... No. There have been times where in the name of of, of Jesus, people have uh, downplayed the spiritual in favor of uh, the social and the material. Uh, that goes back to this thing called the social gospel. Um, and, yeah. but often, and it's hard for a lot of people to grasp this—the way we overemphasize the spiritual over the material, because yeah, really how bad that is. Uh, we we see references well right through uh, the scriptures, uh, rooted in the Torah, but then we have statements in the New Testament. You know, seeing somebody in need and not doing. Anything about yeah. it is 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 ungodly. It, it's wrong. Uh, yeah. People who don't take care of their own family are are worse than uh, unbelievers. Paul Paul writes, and That's so in caring about people and caring about their material needs are so so important. And I'm I'm delighted to hear of of things like that that have really caught your heart, uh, as God has has brought you back to the land. Um, we this is one of the things we didn't touch on before. Uh, there are people that um, would love to help, uh, would love to find ways to um, support works like you've been talking about and other things. But as you know, uh, people get inundated by all sorts of organizations, yeah. um, and I don't know which ones to trust. Um, I don't know if you're yeah. prepared uh, on the spot right now. Do you know of if people want to help with things like this, uh, where they could where they could send money?
1: I think what I would do, Alan, is I would uh, think about it, because I need to consider that the places where the funds will go, they'll be used for the purposes that they should be used for, and I'll let you know. In other words, I'll email you, I'll give you a list of these things, you can publish them at a later time. I wanted to tell you about one more interesting project quickly, I know, time is running. We had a tennis project, we had a brother who was a tennis instructor who worked with um, Arab communities and he was teaching tennis skills to Ethiopian youngsters. And um, you might say, well, why would we teach tennis to disadvantaged children who'd never seen a tennis racket or participated in organized sports? But as you know, the benefit of sports to kids at any age group is obvious. It builds discipline. They practice regularly. It increases hand-eye coordination, increases motor skills, teaches sportsmanship, builds confidence in kids as their familiarity with the sport and their confidence in it grows. And it teaches them basically that they can master things that they never tried before. And these skills are all transferable to other areas of life. And so the the first project was a really interesting one. It was in Jerusalem. We did two of them. The first was in Jerusalem at a community center in the Ethiopian neighborhood. And what passed for a tennis court uh, was just, uh, the court was in abominable condition. It had deep potholes and broken glass. It was a mess. It was just a mess. And so a massive cleanup was done there. And this new activity was advertised around the neighborhood. And the moms began to bring their children who Immediately, like they thought, man, they really wanted to do this. They wanted to learn this new sport, and so, consta. A very funny thing happened. So the kids came, and other kids came from the neighborhood too, who weren't able to participate, and they were jealous. And so they began to interfere. They'd run on the court. They'd do this. They just basically try to mess things up, right? And what happened was. We were told, well, maybe we shouldn't do this here. But the next week, all the mothers came and fathers, some of them who weren't working, and they stood there to protect their children <laughs> so the kids could learn the sport. So the kids could learn the sport. And as a result of this, as a result of this, um, the, the following year, The municipality installed a brand new state-of-the-art tennis courts, plural, at the community, state-of-the-art tennis courts at the community center. And so the project continued. Again, the municipality took it over because it was great. Same thing happened in Haifa. I think one of the funniest things I ever saw was we were doing it in Haifa and we were started with kids from five to eight years old kids from five to eight years old imagine teaching teaching them tennis (laughs) and again the same thing happened all the kids on the outside they were we want to play we want to play and so again the municipality took it over and the project continues and they teach tennis to the kids and they're reaping the benefit of learning a sport and, and the confidence it instills in them so again it's a community development project it's not just you know uh, the better. It's interesting because not far from the courts at Haifa, there's another court that's used by professionals. And the idea was that if the kids show promise, we would send them over and perhaps fund them, you know, at a higher level of instruction. So this was uh, this was one of the fun things to do. That one in, in Haifa was, uh, it was fun. <laughs> it really was. There are other things I've done, but we'll leave it there because time flies
0: well I, I you know beyond yeah i think that's i think that's wonderful That's a wonderful story and it, it demonstrates the creativity that god gives his people it, it uh it also hopefully encourages people i think a lot of people yeah. have a gifts given to them by god that have been untapped because they think serving god means it has to look a certain way so that's right uh if you know it's it's you know, ministry is the is is seen as like the, the the big one. But then you know, doctors and nurses, sure. <coughs> but in things like using sports, and it and it's not you know some people oh we'll we'll do sports so we can use it as a springboard to talk about the Lord to people. But it, but it's more like that. And you and you listed them the benefits, and you know, our our father Abraham was called. That a God would develop a people through Him, that yes. by His by His His grace we're physical members of, to be blessings to the nations, and the and the right. whole understanding of blessing and Barach is you know bringing life where, where there's where there's yeah. death and and hope where there's despair and and healing where there's sickness and you know and you know and you know peace in communities that are that are broken. Yeah. And yeah. it's such a delight to hear of these various things that that you've done, uh, for the creative insights you've been given, and the and the the courage to pursue some of these things, and then to see the Lord's hand, uh, uh, yeah. on on these things. And and so I want to encourage people that are listening. Um, this is not just about what God's doing in Israel. Wherever you are, you know, what is God calling you to do to make a difference? Yeah. And and let nobody judge, you because. Uh, you want to you want to pursue something like like tennis or even better baseball but we won't get into that <laughs> and then I would love to get somebody on who could talk about baseball in Israel sometime um, I we did that a little bit with David Friedman when yeah. he was here before he passed away um, and he was a pioneer of, of baseball uh, in Israel and so sports can be a, a great great blessing so, Michael, that is great. Now, you, you mentioned you'll let me know about some uh, maybe some organizations that people could support. But uh, the last time you were you were with us, you uh, allowed us to uh, mention your email address. Um, is that still okay? Can people get in touch with you directly? you yes, Have any point. questions? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, no problem at all. And the, the same one is happy. B-
0: the same one as one. before. The Hotmail one.
1: Yeah, the Hotmail one.
0: Yeah, So it's yeah. it's l j u d h at hotmail.com dot uh, ca dot ca and yeah, uh here. i'll make sure to put that in the description and uh so okay. um, really really appreciate uh your time hug Sameach. that's happy festival it remembers to bishvat and um may god oh, I'm, I'm to be french
1: Sameach. Oh, put the to oh thank you Bishvat in the middle
0: okay to thank you Thank you for that. And I You're receive, welcome. And I, re, I, re, I receive it. Uh, and uh, may uh, all that you do be blessed by the Lord, and may uh, your leaves prosper in season as he continues to uh, root you deeper and deeper in, in himself. Thank, you. Thank so, you very
1: much, brother.
0: So thanks for, to Michael Gertzman for doing that with us today. And uh, again, his email address is in the description below. But in case you're simply listening, it's ljudh at hotmail.ca. And if you have any questions for myself, or maybe you have some guest recommendations or other comments, you can send that to comments at thinkingbiblically.org, comments at thinkingbiblically.org. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman for Thinking Biblically.